I'm Danny Donovan, president of General Baptist Ministries, and I want to welcome you to a brand new podcast, Doing Together. Doing Together is about sharing the ways that General Baptist partner together so that your church can fulfill its calling. In this episode, we are talking about the current directions of General Baptist Ministries and the transitions that we have underway. I want you to hear my perspective on where we are and where we are going. We have so much to be excited about when looking forward together. But first, over the next several minutes, you will hear from Andy Mathias, the current chair of the Executive Council of the Council of Associations for General Baptists, and Josh Carpenter, the chair of the Restructure Task Force. They bring perspective on our ongoing structural transitions and how they play into what's coming for General Baptists. I'm joined now by Josh Carpenter and Andy Mathias. Guys, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll give just give you guys a brief introduction for those that don't know you. Josh serves as the lead pastor at Grace United General Baptist Church in Paragould, Arkansas, and he also has served General Baptist as the chairman of the Restructure Task Force, or the RTF. You'll probably hear us use that language of RTF in our conversation today. Um, the RTF has been a group of leaders who have led us through the process of reorganization over the last couple of years. Um, Andy serves as the pastor of the Salmons General Baptist Church in Franklin, Kentucky. Besides being a pastor, Andy is also a full-time real estate agent with Lighthouse Realty and Auction Company in Portland, Tennessee. And he serves currently as the General Baptist Chairman of the Council of, of the Executive Council of the Council of Associations, which is our current board of directors for the ministries here. And he also serves as a member of the RTF. Guys, welcome to uh, Doing Together today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, you guys just start off as their, uh, as we, the RTF people have maybe heard about this, but but what is it if for someone that maybe not have heard what the Restructure Task Force is? Well, it's uh, essentially a, I guess you would call an ad hoc committee that was put together uh, by the executive council uh, back in the spring of, of 2019 um, to begin to investigate how we could do what we do better, um, both structurally and um, uh, as far as how our organization is set up, how we could be better focused on our mission and uh, clear better define what our mission is as General Baptist. Um, so that group was appointed by the executive council and uh, began to research and look into our current structures and how we might be able to do things better and, and to begin conversations with the, the wider body of General Baptist. So um, that's work that's been going on uh, since 2019. It, it took some years to put this together. Um, this last year at, at the summit in 2020, one, we we approved the first set of changes there. Uh, the Council Associations has also implemented some changes. Uh, but how did how did, was the process that we took in order to get to that place? I should also tell everyone I'm a part of the RTF from the beginning before I ever came to work here for the ministry. So I'll probably say we in the conversation because we have worked together on this over time. Uh, but, you know, kind of describe this. What was the the process that we went through in order to settle on what the changes that we ended up proposing looked like? If you'd like, I'll talk about kind of the big beginning of the process. And Andy, if you want to chime in and pick up on the tail end of it, because you've been a, a, more a part of the RTF in the last year or so than at the beginning. I think in the beginning, the, the work of the RTF began by just asking really hard questions about who we are and how we have been doing things. Uh, and uh, so there was a lot of conversations with uh, with leaders and amongst that group and 
Um, the initial RTF was made up of folks who have been involved in the movement for several years, have been experienced with the, the C of A and, and leadership positions. And so it's just really make, taking a really hard look at ourselves, and asking some hard questions. Um, and once we come up with um, kind of what we felt like, some general ideas of what we need to look at as far as being more missional focused and what a structure might possibly, a new structure might possibly um, achieve, uh, we began to ask those same questions of larger bodies. So we started having listening sessions and uh, getting more input uh, from um, GB churches and leaders. Uh, so we tried to have listening sessions around different regions. We did some online, again, gaining more insight, uh, getting as much insight as we could, uh, getting as much history as we could. And, um, and then uh, taking all that, that input and coming together and drawing on resources of other movements uh, trying to find a structure that would work best for us moving forward. Um, and then putting those, those ideas together and then bringing them back to the executive council. Uh, and we did that over the last couple of years in small steps and then finally making a proposal, uh, an official proposal for the new structure that we're, we're currently looking at. Josh covered it really well at the beginning in all those stages. I was a member of the council of associations and also just a member of those listening sessions. And from what I gleaned from all of those things, it was a process that was labor intensive and time intensive, but it also was something that was going to be worth our time in the end. And I hope that uh, collectively as a group of churches, we can agree that it has come to that. So uh, I think Josh did a really good job of explaining how it kind of came to where we're at right now. I would say that, you know, when we were going through that process, I was very encouraged by the listening sessions that we had in the different regions, uh, just the engagement that was involved there. And then I was also very encouraged when we brought the proposals to the uh, executive council and eventually to the council associations mm -hmm. by the questions and discussions. I mean, the, it, it was uh, uh, received well, but it wasn't just, you know, uh, received easy either. Uh, it was, right. uh, there, there was a lot of thought that went into it, a lot of questions, a lot of discussion. Uh, those are some of the longest meetings we've ever had. And yeah. uh, they were good meetings. Um, and uh, I, I was encouraged by that, uh, by the, the engagement throughout the whole process. So how do you see this, uh, the new structure as being similar to or uh, different from what we currently have in place with the Council of Associations? With our current structure of the Council Associations that we've been doing for, I guess, 20 years now, we've seen it kind of maybe change from what it was initially probably, I would say, designed to do. Um, and we've seen a lot of efficiency issues throughout the course of it. And with the restructure and, and the stuff that has been proposed, and we've already went through the first round of voting on it's going to be a much more streamlined way to accomplish the purposes. Um, we said at the last Council of Association meeting just uh, a little over a month ago, and it was a real struggle to get even a quorum present. And, you know, I think if anything, as far as the entire movement, it's taught us anything during COVID, this couldn't come at a better time because travel is much more restrictive for a lot of folks. Um, being able to do things in person in large settings um, has been much more difficult with a, a large body. And 
for people that don't understand our current structure, um, it's kind of at the Council of Associations, it's a three-tiered approach. You have the Council of Associations, you have an executive council, and then you have an executive committee. And there's a lot of confusion on who does what and where the responsibilities lie inside of the executive council. You've also got um, a couple other committees that, that serve the personnel committee and budget committee. So it's, it's hard to understand, especially uh, kind of overseeing our members that's been on our council from our association for a while now. It's really hard to explain to a new person how this current structure actually works. And I believe uh, the new structure is going to be far more streamlined, um, hopefully allow for people that are truly engaged leaders to be able to help to make decisions to steer our denomination in the in the best uh, path forward. Yeah. So one of the things you, you talk about that being complicated, I wonder sometimes if some of the frustration that some people have expressed over the years is because they haven't understood how things actually work and bringing some clarity and simplicity to the structure itself will allow for more transparency, accountability, um, and therefore more partnership across uh, our partner churches because they'll understand what we're doing and why. Um, so that, I think that's a, a big thing uh, with regard to this. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that we've heard a lot of times in the, this process that we've heard from some folks, especially the ones that have been around for a while, is that there's been some concern that this new structure is in some ways a return to the pre-1990s structure that was um, that was kind of done away with with the reorganization that took pl- place back in that time. Um, so could you like talk about, let's talk about how is that not true or how is it that it, this does reflect that? What is, what is the relationship between that and, and how do we distinguish between those? I think some of the confusion comes from just using the term board. And so, uh, when we think in terms of, uh, the general board and how that general board, if I understand that process, that structure predates me. So, um, you know, me too. Speaking, yeah, we're speaking out of uh, what we learned from history here, not from experience, but that general board being made up of different ministry boards then um, that, that kind of made that board, if I understood that correctly. And so we use the word, the term board of overseers now, and I think that that's the confusion. But those two boards are made up uh, completely different, and they're, um, they're in, most, in, in most ways, their purpose is different. Uh, so the board of overseers are not going to be um, active members in the in the ministry of the denomination uh, of the movement. And what I mean by that is they're not going to be uh, folks who are directly overseeing uh, global missions or national missions or um, church revitalization. Uh, their primary role is going to be overseeing. Uh, that's why the term is, is we try to make the term as clear as possible. Uh, offering accountability to the president and through the president toward those ministries. Uh, in the past, I think that's where some of our confusion has happened, both in the Council Association and I would guess back in the term of the general board as well. You had the same group of leaders who were both trying to do ministry and at the same time oversee ministry. Uh, so they're trying to develop mission and cast vision, yet at the same time offering some level of accountability. 
Um, this structure is meant to clarify all of those roles. And so you have uh, those parts, those offices and departments who are um, whose job is to do ministry, to start churches, to do uh, global missions, uh, to revitalize churches. And then you have the, the board of overseer whose role is just to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, of course, taking care of budgetary issues and personnel type issues that have to be done in an organization. Uh, but clarifying those roles is going to be a great strength for us. And I believe that's what led to uh, the past changes to the general board, uh, that there were those same issues that we somewhat face with the council associations now. The roles can be very confusing. And so uh, this system um, is meant to really clarify those roles. One of the things that, uh, you know, looking back at the period of the general board, and like you said, it, it predates me too. Uh, Josh, you and I uh, came into the denominational life about the same time. We've got lots of personal stories about that that we could share. But um, <laughs> we, uh, whenever we look back at that time with the general board, um, there were a, a, basically a collection of ministries that fought over a, and I don't think that's too strong of a word, that they fought over a, a resource pot that we called the unified budget at that time. And uh, the word unified budget, I think, is in some ways ironic um, because it was, it was a, a way of kind of splitting things up at the time. And uh, then each board then managed their own resources. We didn't have centralized accounting. Um, we didn't have centralized vision. Uh, we had a collection of ministries that were basically um, sharing money. In this process, the new process, we're talking about something that it has a it has a very much a centralized accounting process. We have one budget. Because we are one organization, we are one um, have one vision, and we don't have just a collection of ministries, but we have uh, one ministry that has various facets to it now. And uh, th so the accountability um, that comes from the Board of Overseers is that um, would lead into more um, more of this you know unified vision, unified approach. All right. So, um, what's uh, already been accomplished at this point, and therefore, what is still left to be done with the RTF? I think um, most members of the RTF are looking forward to a time whenever it doesn't have to exist anymore; that the work is completed. So, where where are we at in the process? Where what has been done? Where we where we still have to accomplish before the work is completed? So, up to this point, I would say the vast majority of the legwork has been done and accomplished. Hopefully um, everybody by this point has seen the two documents that were voted on for the initial run at the general association this last year. Those two were uh, the big task that we had in the restructure is to do the constitution bylaws for the general association. And then also what was the council of association now is the Board of Overseer uh, Constitution and Bylaws. So those have been accomplished. Um, after the General Association, we realized there was a few other little odds and ends things 
that needed to be accomplished as far as the structure moving forward, this new structure with the Board of Overseers. One of the big things was the election of officers and how that would take place. And that's been in the works um, right now. Josh has sent us out kind of in teams of two to uh, accomplish a handbook for how this process will look. It's not going to be as formal of a document as the Constitution and bylaws, but it'll kind of lay the groundwork for how do we uh, navigate in each region that's been set up to uh, elect your board of overseers and what's the purpose of them. So Josh may want to elaborate a little more on that. I know I'm uh, on kind of a structure in the voting side of that. And if Danny wants to elaborate on that a little more in a little bit, we can do that as well. Yeah, I think that the handbook that we're working on right now is going to answer a lot of the questions that came up even during the, the approval of the Constitution. Um, of course, the Constitution and bylaws lays out a, you know, a lot of procedure and ideas, but doesn't necessarily flesh out all the details of how a, a new system is going to work. And this handbook should fill in all of those details. Um, uh, the, the section that I'm currently working on is on the qualifications for overseers and uh, trying to make that clear uh, because that's going to be an important part of the process as we move forward as those regions choose their two overseers is making sure they um, they're clear what those those uh, qualifications are not only so they can uh, find the right the right people um, well it is mainly so they find the right people so uh, we want to make sure those qualifications are clear um, so I, for me you know where we're at uh, having went through the first set of approvals uh, for those documents at the, at the GA, we still have to do one more vote this coming year um, at the uh, at the GA for the uh, GA Constitution. I believe is the one that we we uh, still have to do. I don't have my timeline mixed up. It's going to be a matter of filling those roles. That's that's the important part. That's why those qualifications, but the overseers are important, and then finding those ministry roles, those regional leaders. Um, that that's the part. Um, that uh, is, is obviously the key to this. You know, right now we have a lot of plans on paper where they have a lot of titles down in a chart. And we've said from the beginning, the key is making sure we find the right people and the right leaders. I'm excited thus far about the leaders that we, we have uh, and those roles that have been filled. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a matter of prayer for me, but I, I would encourage that to be a matter of prayer for everyone that um, that God continues to favor us in that way, that we're able to find the right leaders for all those positions. Um, so that's that's kind of where we are uh, as we finish out this document process. Uh, it's a matter of, of putting the system to work. Yeah, one of the things that that uh, handbook will incorporate too is the the way that the regions will get um, you know drawn and evaluated over time and maybe redrawn in the future. As uh, needs change, this is supposed to be something where we're going to have multiple regions. We want those regions to be known before we get to the final vote. And then the process for how those would get adjusted over time to also be incorporated into that. Um, so we have, I know one of the work groups that's working right now is working on the regional drawing of the map, essentially. And uh, we'll hope to be able to share that with folks well in advance of the general association meeting. So whenever you guys look back on the uh, the work of the RTF, what's what's most exciting to you? And is there anything that is out there in the future that worries you about this process? Um, I, 
you know, I'm, I'm most excited about having an organization. Um, and we're not a, a huge organization compared to other denominations. But when you can have a, an organization the size of ours, with as many churches and people and leaders that we have, if all of those folks have become focused on one mission together and push forward together, I'm excited about what that can look like and what can happen. Um, I think that's what's, I think that's been on everyone's heart for a long time. It's not what, it's not that we didn't want to do that. It was figuring out how we can do it. And I feel like this is a step toward that. So I'm excited about seeing that happen. Uh, us going forward with one thing in mind that we're going to accomplish together. Uh, that's really exciting to me. Uh, I guess the other thing I'm excited about, and I have been the whole time, is just the opportunity for more leadership involvement. And through involvement, there being a development or the kind of term that's been in my head lately is like leadership mobility, being able to move, be able to recognize leadership within people, not just within pastoral roles, but then within the organization of, of the denomination. Uh, and then being able to see those folks move forward and there being a clear road for them to do that all the way from the, the regional kind of level of that and then them being able to grow and that their capabilities can then lead them up the steps uh, of that kind of leadership mobility. And that. That, that, that's also my worry is finding those people quick enough. Yeah. You know, uh, ideally, we would have a decade to fill all these roles. Uh, but we don't have a decade. We've yeah. got it maybe, you know, a few months that we need to identify people and put them to work. And uh, that's a tight timeline uh, for some very important roles. Um, and so that that what I'm excited about also worries me. So, yeah, I, I would kind of support exactly what Josh said on the exciting side of it to have uh true path and vision for what General Baptist is at the national level. It's going to be an international global level, what it is. Um, I believe that Danny has done a great job at kind of helping to set the stage for that, even in our current structure, but also moving forward. Um, I, I really look forward to that and that process. I guess uh, one of the concerning things or questions that I've had from the get-go was in this new structure, um, how communication will be and how connectivity will be. Um, I, I feel like we're in a great uptrend with people coming on board and kind of re-energizing their passion for our movement, um, especially as much as uh, Dr. Donovan's been going out and meeting with churches and just seeing kind of, even like I say, in the midst of, of all that's happened these past couple of years, um, people engaging in whether it's a Zoom meetings or engaging at the General Association. I think the regional concept opens the door for better engagement if we can get churches to come and to be a part of it. And that's what I really hope that we see take place. And people can realize it's not coming and going through a large business meeting. It's coming to grow in ministry and connect with people, network with one another. Uh, on the flip side of that, you know, at the Council of Associations, none of that was really hardly accomplished. We were there just solely to take care of business, but it did allow us to at least develop relationships with other people. If it weren't for the Council of Associations, um, I wouldn't know the two of y'all very well at all other than from maybe just crossing paths at general associations. So I hope 
that that continues to grow. And then when we come together at the General Association, also those relationships uh, can continue to build as well. You know, some of the, uh, and I, I agree with just the relationship building, and maybe we'll focus on that and not um, the, the business side of things and the organizational side of things necessarily. I'm excited too when when you have a new organization like this that we're putting up, and you know there's there's the reasons for changing something like this are either because it's broken or you're trying something new, you're trying something fresh, and you know I think our reasons here were probably about eighty twenty. You know it wasn't working efficiently, but now we also because we're changing have the opportunity to experience something fresh. So I love seeing the ingenuity that comes from that. That okay. Here's a problem. Now we can face it like we never have before. Yeah. Now we can we can go at this in a direction like we never have because we have the freedom to do that. Where oftentimes, whether it was the general board structure or the C of A structure, everything was so hemmed in. You didn't have the freedom to move and the freedom to try things and to, to invest in things because uh, everything was, like you said, everything was always outlined so tightly uh, there wasn't room to to dream. There wasn't room to experiment to some degree and, uh, and to try new things. So I'm excited about the mission side of it, but just the idea of, of being able to try fresh th- things in a kind of a fresh organization. All right. So uh, beyond the RTF, um, I think everyone recognizes that we are currently in a moment of transition in the church at large, right? Um, this is true for General Baptist, just like it is for lots of Christians, maybe even especially uh, in light of, you know, the pandemic, changing cultural landscape in, in the United States. Um, so we're in, we're in a moment of transition overall. So what do you hope comes from like this more general time of transition for the church? You know, I think... Uh when you, you know, the church is always in a time of transition. We're always, something's always happening. We're always changing. And and sometimes those transitions we bring on ourselves, you know, and, and then sometimes there's outside forces that, that, that cause us to have to change, to respond in some way uh, that, that we don't have uh, a choice, but to respond. And, and we're kind of in one of those, those times. And I think that that pressure is coming from different um, aspects right now. The pandemic is, forced us to look at ourselves in different ways and ask what's most important, uh, how we measure effectiveness, all those things. Uh, We've been forced to look at that in different ways. Um, But then the the cultural changes that we're facing as well and um, the uh, how we respond to uh, the issues that people are facing, the questions that people are asking. there was a time that it was easy for the church just to say, okay, this is who we are and that is who you are. And we could stand on that. And and we're to the point now that the uh, culture has shifted so quickly and so drastically that it, that's not good enough anymore. We have to answer the questions. We have to engage. We have to get involved in messy situations. Uh, and we have to be able to present the gospel there. We can't just say, that's not who we are. That's your problem. No, we have to be willing to say it's our problem because we want you and we want to present the gospel to you. And we want you to know how much Jesus loves you and all these done for you. Um, and so crossing over those kind of messy lines, it has to become part of ministry for us. 
And that means many times ministry has to look very different and it causes us to have to be willing to take on greater sacrifice, I believe, um, and, and being willing um, to make investments that we haven't made before, uh, both relationally, uh, monetarily, um, letting go of some things that maybe we once thought were really important that as we go forward, we're going to find may not be the most important thing for us after all. So I think there's going to be some hard, again, hard questions that we are going to have to answer as the church as this transition, as we go through this, this time of transition. But as we found throughout the history of the church, it's those times the church becomes stronger. Mm. Uh, when those times when we really have to clarify who we are and what we're here for, and, and we face pressures that we can't overcome on our own, um, that the, the church ends up in some ways, uh, purifying and, and getting back to who we're supposed to be. When life is easy, we're not always the best Christians. And the church hasn't always been the best church. And so as we face harder times, I think eventually the church will be better for it. You know, um, there are some folks who say that the church, if it's not experiencing hardship, that it can't fully be the church. That That is the nature of what the church is, is a, is a church that is always uh, struggling, that a church that doesn't struggle is a church that can't be faithful because struggle is part of what it means to be the church. To struggle between the part of the Lord's prayer of uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and living in the tension of we're not there yet. I would add to, you know, over the last few years, we've heard different people that deal with statistics and surveying and measuring analytics at, at the national level talk about this shift in our culture from being America has been known as this Christian nation for so many years. And now we have less and less people identifying themselves as Christians. And that is concerning to so many people, but also I think it, it should not only be presented as a challenge to us, but also the, the opportunity. Whenever we think about ministry, so many times the hardest people to reach are the people that have a small connection to church and they consider themselves religious. They think they are where they need to be or they're good enough spiritually. And those are the hardest people to reach. And they have been for decades now in ministry, the people that you might get to church once a year or uh, something like that. And it's, it's almost like Jesus, whenever he was here, when we read in the Gospels, the, the people that was so hard to reach were those religious people of the day that didn't have the relationship with the Lord. Uh, we see him reach Nicodemus. We see that at the end, that Nicodemus is there at his burial. But we see so many more of the tax collectors. We see the Levi Matthews and Zacchaeus's that Jesus was able to reach because they didn't consider themselves a religious person. And I think that, I mean, at least to me, that's encouraging to me to say, you know what, at least people know who they are. They're not pretending to be something they're not. And then there's the opportunity. And it's now, how do we present the gospel in such a way that we do it with com compassion and let the Lord bring conviction. Um, and so many times, church folks struggle with that. We feel like 
we need to bring conviction and we forgot the compassion. The Lord brings conviction, but we have to show the compassion of Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. One more question. So can you, uh, you guys each talk about why is it that uh, being connected to General Baptist Ministries is important to you? Well, I can start first. So I guess it's my story is a story of kind of my life. I grew up going to a General Baptist church. I've, I, I guess you could say not known anything other. I've obviously attended other church services with friends or family or, or different reasons over the course of time. So I was born and raised a General Baptist, but that's not why I'm a General Baptist. Um, I, I truly have a passion for what we do, but more importantly, what our foundation is, what we believe. Um, while I don't know that we are perfect on every level, I believe the doctrinal stands that we have, the foundational things of our movement, uh, why we are who we are, are extremely not only important, but they're founded upon the scripture and they align with what my belief system is. Um, I can remember years ago as a teenager uh, going to Honduras for the first time on a mission trip. And uh, even in that moment, I was struggling with uh, this calling to preach. And I, I could see for the first time maybe ever in my life, the phrase lived out that we talked about. Remember I went in 97 we visited Faith Homes campus, and there was one building on the entire campus, and uh, could see this vision, and then could wrap my mind around doing together what we can't do alone, and having that mindset, and seeing how, you know what, our church, I grew up at Union Chapel General Baptist Church in Portland, Tennessee, there's no way that we could build buildings over there and open uh, Faith Home. But we could collectively come alongside other believers with shared vision to be able to do that. And we've, you know, over the years seen ministries go in so many other areas and avenues, and they were before that as well. But for me, that was maybe my first true engagement outside of my own church as a teenager to be able to see what we really do, what we can accomplish when we set our minds to it. Um, And that was exciting to me. And over the years, as I've grown into leadership roles and things, I I hope that I have been able to show other people that same mindset. I know so many times, whether it's in our local association or the general association level, I've heard so many people say, well, what does the association do for me? And it may be, again, our local or the general and while there are things that it offers us, if, if that's our mindset, that's really a selfish mindset. The same people asking those questions get frustrated when people say, well, what's your church going to do for me? But yet they'll ask the same question of us, and it should be more as we're part of these bodies, what can we do to help the greater cause for the kingdom of God? Yeah, and, and for me, uh, like Andy, it's the only church I've ever been a part of. Um, I was raised in General Baptist churches. Uh, recently attended the funeral of the lady uh, who was a Sunday school teacher at a church that my dad pastored. 
where there's a lot of Sundays I was the only kid in that church. And she prepared a lesson for me every week to teach me about Jesus. Um, and so when I think about General Baptist, those are the folks I think about that invested in me and invest have invested in my family and in my kids. And so um, when I think about my continued involvement in General Baptist, uh, it, it's, it probably sounds uh, cliche or hokey, uh, but it's family. And I, uh, I don't feel like it's not that I'm forced into it, but uh, it's not a choice I have to make. Um, General Baptist are my family, and um, they poured into me, and, uh, and I feel like I have a, a responsibility and a, a love that drives me to want to pour back, um, not just in, into my local church, but into the, the broader family and what we can be. Uh, so it, it's definitely that, that, that personal connection and the investment that's been made uh, that I feel like needs to continue on. Um, you know, if you go around our church here at Grace United, uh, you'll see evidence of, of General Baptist life all around, not, not like missionary posters or anything like that, but you'll see in the organization of our church and the things that we teach and how we do things, it all comes from things we've learned from other General Baptist churches, things we've learned from coaching sessions, things that we've learned at summit meetings. Uh, we're, we're a collection of of, of general Baptist thought and practices um, because it's our family. And so we carry those traits and, uh, with us. It's part of our, our DNA. Um, and, and to agree with what Andy says is because I believe what general Baptists believe um, that Christ tasted death uh, for all humanity uh, is, is core um, to my personal beliefs and the mission of our church and why we do what we do. Uh, that everybody needs Jesus and everybody can have Jesus. And I think that's distinct among our people. Not that there's not other people believe it, but I'm not sure there's anybody else who says it like we can. And uh, I think that makes, um, makes General Baptist distinct. It makes us important uh, in the world and in the kingdom of God. And uh, makes me glad to be a part and thankful that God uh, placed me in this group of people. Very good. All right. So uh, while we're still recording, um, Andy, would you like to record a, um, a official apology to Josh for calling a Grace United Methodist Church at the summit? <laughs> still hurts. <laughs> the entire time, every time he brings up Grace United, I still think Methodist Church. He ain't no so general awesome. Baptist. He's just fooling people. I was dying. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was the best. So and Andy, oh, and Andy immediately turns around and says to me, "Well, I guess I took the pressure off." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, Andy, thank you for uh, being a part of this very first episode of Doing Together. I appreciate you guys taking some time to talk with us about the RTF and about the directions transitions we have going on. I want to say just thank you for having me on. Um, and I don't say this because y'all two guys are here, but I appreciate the work that Josh has done with the RTF for these several years. I've only been on board for the last year or so, and I appreciate that. appreciate what you're doing, Danny, with our movement and the direction that we're headed. I'm excited about it. I, I tell people about it all the time, and I, I, I sense a general excitement in our area for it. And I also appreciate the opportunity to serve the denomination in the way in which I do. And through this initial transition, look forward to seeing what the Lord's going to do through it. 
Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to get on here and, and uh, to talk with you guys. I always enjoy spending time with you, and uh, I'm, I'm excited, uh, excited uh, for the, the continued work that, that you'll be doing, Danny, and uh, appreciate Andy and his leadership. And, and uh, been really, it's been really great to get to, to get to know you better, Andy. And I look forward to working with you more. And I mean, this is just the first podcast, so it can only get better from here. Yeah. So, uh, good luck with that. Most people that are listening probably will say, well, I hope it does get better from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you guys. If you know me, this is not really going to surprise you. Um, I love to ask the question, why? And with the organizational transition that we're in, that word, why, it's the music beneath the words that have the questions that I hear most often. I think what most people are asking is why transition and why now? First, let me tell you something that's not the reason for this restructure. We're not restructuring because the former structure was necessarily a bad idea. And we're definitely not restructuring because the people who were involved in the last transition were um, unfaithful in some way or were mistaken about the needs of the time. Let me take you back to that time, to the last time that we reorganized as an organization. It was a generation ago, the 1990s. In much of our denominational life, as I've heard it described, was characterized by contention over leadership and about how to divide up the so-called unified budget of the time. Different boards pressed for their needs, and faith in the ministries was at a low point. The reorganization of the 1990s brought about centralized accounting. It brought about focus on the importance of the local church and the local association, and it emphasized collaboration in our leadership structure. All those values were essential for what was needed to bring order and what was needed to move General Baptist forward. The people who labored diligently through that process did so with a sense of the gravity of their work. And regardless of how you feel about our need for the restructure today, uh, there's really no dispute that General Baptists have greatly benefited from the faithfulness of the people who put together the current structure. However, despite the reorganization of that time, the ability of the structure to function in our day has seen significant cracks in recent years. The membership of the Council of Associations and the Executive Council have consistently voiced concerns about the ability of those bodies to lead us in the next generation. You see, associations are the cornerstone of the Council of Associations. And while several of, several of them remain vital, most are significantly weaker today than a generation ago. And the needs for broader engagement with our churches is recognized almost universally. So at the very beginning of its work, the RTF established a set of guiding values that we knew needed to be addressed as we rethought the way that we work together as General Baptists. So let me just go over those quickly. First, we believed that we needed empowered leadership, that we needed to clarify who was able to lead. Second, we thought that we needed a clear and flexible structure, one that could be easily understood and that could be adjusted to meet the changing circumstances of ministry. We believe that we needed missional accountability, uh, missional accountability that would assure that we had all the organization's activities guided toward a common mission rather than serving the needs of any individual ministry. 
And finally, that we needed cultural adaptability that would allow all of our different regional cultures to find expressions of our mission that best fit their context and the needs of their churches, and that we were able to support that as an organization. See, these values represent the responses needed to address the weaknesses that had arisen in our, in our organization's expression through its structures. The restructure that we are in the process of enacting is designed to address these needs. Now, granted, um, I'm sure there will be new weaknesses that will arise. Any human structure that we construct will be that way. However, I also believe that this new structure will bring a strengthened leadership it will bring strong accountability through this new board of overseers. And the implementation of a regional structure is exactly what we need to bind us together for ministry in the next generation. That ultimately is the why of this transition. The why is that we need the opportunity to be faithful to our calling as it is presented to us today. And we believe that this is the best way to do that. It's something that will lead us into the next generation. In my opening remarks as president last year at the summit, I made it clear that my passion was to bring an end to our tribalism and to the silos that handicap us, and to lead us to become one organization that is singularly minded about our mission together, and that mission is to be for churches. We must emphasize that the work of local churches is the Great Commission, and the work of our association of churches is to come alongside local churches to support their ministry. We can't be looking for ways to help for you to help us do ministry. Uh, we must focus on helping you do ministry. I believe that the values enacted through this restructure put us in a position to do that because they support General Baptist Ministries in being for the church. I am excited to continue this work alongside you. I love General Baptists in all of our variety. I love the big churches and the small churches. I love the pastor who's working at this while also trying to hold down another job. I love the pastor who's doing this full time and trying to balance all the weights of ministry. I love the young kid who's just getting a sense of what God is doing in her life. And I love the man who has pastored churches faithfully for 60 years. I love getting to visit with you and worship with you and hear your dreams for the future and help you find God's calling, whether that be on the mission field or um, a dream to plant a new church. I love the church in all of its beauty and at its best because I believe that it is a picture of the very heart of God. And I really do believe that when we do ministry together, we can make an impact that's greater than any individual church would ever be able to do. So thank you for trusting me to lead during these days, and I'm excited about what is coming for General Baptists, and I'm excited to see this transition through. Would you join with me right now in prayer for our churches and for our ministries through these transitional days? Lord, you're always faithful to your promise to build your church. And we are grateful that we can witness your faithfulness and we can join in your mission to bring the light of the good news to every corner of this world. Father, I ask that you remind my brothers and sisters that despite any worries that they have about the future, that you go with us. You are always leading us. You are never forsaking us. And Lord, we ask that you would guide us forward, that we can be faithful in our day, and that we can be faithful in all of our different contexts. 
And may you be glorified through General Baptist churches around the world. Send your spirit among us to blow a fresh wind of your power and boldness for the days that are ahead. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Once again, I want to thank Josh Carpenter and Andy Mathias for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Next week, we will feature a conversation we recorded between myself and Pastor Chris Vaught from Connection Point Church in Jackson, Missouri, about this summer's Mission and Ministry Summit. You will not want to miss that. Exciting things are coming for this year's gathering of General Baptists in Bowling Green, Kentucky. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening and give us a rating. It helps other people to find us. I also want to ask that if you would talk about the podcast on social media, we want to continue the conversation. I want to thank you for listening and we will see you on the next episode of Doing Together.